Hi everyone! As you might already know, our episodes are bi-weekly, or every other week, but this month will be a little different as we prepare for our 13 Nights of Halloween series in October, where we release 14 episodes in a row, in honor of our favorite horrifying holiday. Straight Up Enigmas episode 52 will drop next week, then we'll take a two-week break before bringing you episode 53 on September 29th. Don't forget to submit your scary true encounters at straightupenigmas.home.blog. With that, let's dive right in to today's story. You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This is Chapter 3 of Small Town Spirits, a new miniseries from the Straight Up Enigmas podcast. We're telling the story of Andy Hartman and the mysterious town of Laurelton, Missouri in order. So if you haven't listened to the first two chapters, be sure to go back and start there. Because it's been so long between chapter two and chapter three, though, here's a quick recap of the story so far. Andy has just graduated with her associate's degree, but she has no clear idea of what she wants to do with the rest of her life, so she's taking the summer off to stay with her aunt, Mara, in the small town of Laurelton, Missouri. While there, she's working part-time at a woman's clothing boutique named The Speckled Sparrow on the historic town square. She gets along with the store manager, Stephanie, and she's even made some… friends? Emmett and Kai, who work at the Mexican restaurant, Flavoroso, down the street. Some… strange things have been happening to Andy since she's been in Laurelton, though, including fiery nightmares, ghostly visions, and giant ravens diving at her from the sky. When we last left Andy, she had just seen a mysterious figure standing in the second-story window of the Lester Lawless Bank and Museum. We'll pick up the story from there. All I could do was blink and gape at the now empty second-story window of the Lester Lawless Bank and Museum. I walked around to the front of the counter, then approached the front of the store, keeping my eyes glued on the window. Okay, I thought slowly. There had been a man standing at the window. So what? It could have been an employee or a guest. But why had he been staring directly at me without moving a muscle? And why was he wearing such old-timey clothing? It definitely looked like a white, high-collared shirt and dark jacket. And was it just me? Or had there been a dark, splotchy stain on the man's chest? 
I just felt numb, frozen. Then a chilling thought came to me. How could someone have been watching me from down the block? I mean, the figure was too far away for me to have really seen his eyes, but I could tell that his face was turned directly toward me. Without thinking, I pushed open the store's front door, crossed the street, then turned my back on the old museum to stare at the speckled sparrow's front display windows. My stomach did a kind of sick flop. The glare of the midday sun on the glass made it difficult to see inside. I could see the mannequins on display just inside, but behind them we had a beaded curtain that blocked any view of the counter that was much deeper inside the store. But I had seen the figure on the second floor. Maybe the height gave him a better view. Yeah, that's got to be it, I thought, taking a few quick steps back toward the museum. And there was a slight decline toward the store. That height must have. Hey, Andy, what are you? I heard the voice behind me a split second before I collided with its owner. There was a yelp of pain as my foot crunched down on Stephanie's sandaled toes, and the sound of a package smashing to the ground. Oh, Stephanie, I am so sorry, I apologized as I wheeled around to face her. Stephanie reached down and nursed her sore toes as she grabbed a pink cardboard box from the ground. She ignored me and replied impatiently, What are you doing out here, Andy? Is anyone in the store? The store? Oh, oh my gosh, Steph, I'm sorry, I... Without a word, Stephanie brushed past me toward the boutique. I groaned. I had just left the store unattended without even thinking. As I followed Steph inside, I saw a streak of inky blackness out of the corner of my eye. I turned just in time to see a giant raven alighting on a tree branch in front of the store. The bird's dark, beady eyes seemed to bore right into mine. Suddenly, anger and frustration surged inside of me. Steph was probably about to chew me out, all because I kept getting caught up in these, these weird things. I hadn't gone looking for any of this. I balled my hands into fists. Glaring straight at the bird, I hissed, Leave me alone. Without waiting to see what it would do, I turned and stalked inside the speckled sparrow. Steph was understandably upset with me. She had driven back from her dentist's appointment, parked, then decided to pick up a dozen freshly baked donuts for the both of us from a bakery on the opposite side of the square. On her way in, she had seen me strangely backpedaling away from the store. I lied and told her I had wanted to take a picture of the storefront for social media, but that I shouldn't have left the store unattended. I wouldn't do it again. Steph finally sighed, nodded, then handed me a gooey, glazed donut. Just make sure it doesn't happen again, okay? I told her it wouldn't. That night, Mara and I kept it pretty chill. We walked around the neighborhood for a bit and played a board game before I asked to head to bed a little early. I video called my mom, who, of course, 
wanted to know every single little detail about my summer so far. I, of course, did not tell her every single little detail. Hey mom, my day was great. I think I saw the ghost of a murdered 19th century college student today, and I think a giant corvid is stalking me. My mom explained that my dad had had to work late that night, but he wanted me to call him tomorrow. I said that I would. After that call, I realized I had never sent Bree that text message about lunch with Emmett. For some reason, I just didn't feel like talking to Bree right now. I knew she'd probably call me as soon as she saw my text and want to talk for an hour or more. I was tired and I could call her later. As I lie in bed that night, I thought about how stupid it had been to talk to a bird, like it was the raven's fault that weird things kept happening. I mean, it was just a coincidence that it kept showing up. It probably wasn't even the same bird, right? Eventually, I fell into a restless sleep. That night, the horrible nightmare returned, but it was even worse. Fire engulfed the room around me. It ate up the curtains on my four-poster bed. It singed the sheets below me. I tried to scream, but the thick smoke seized my lungs. Haze obscured my vision, and suddenly, I was lying on a different bed. There were no flames here. I gulped down the fresh, clean air when a sharp, indescribable pain rocketed up through my legs. Tears welled in my eyes, and when I glanced down at my legs, I almost fainted. Angry red boils filled with yellow pus blanketed my shins. The white-hot pain was almost too much. I shrieked with everything inside me. Andy, Andy, you're okay, you're okay, it's just a dream. I awoke to see Mara's face leaning over me. With cool hands, she smoothed matted hair off my sweaty forehead and helped me slowly sit up. Andy, baby, you're safe, you're alright. I breathed deep and tried to collect myself. It was just a dream, it was just a dream. But the pain had felt so real. I, I'm so sorry, Mara. Did I wake you up? I had a bad nightmare. You were screaming like someone was stabbing you with hot pokers. When she saw my expression, she quickly added, But don't worry, I was already awake. I think the AC went out completely in the middle of the night. It was so stuffy in here, I couldn't sleep. She gasped suddenly. Did you dream about that fire again? Probably doesn't help that it's hotter than Hades in here. I'll have someone come out tomorrow to look at the AC. Here, let me go get you a glass of water, sweetie. Before I could protest, Mara left the room. Taking another deep breath, I suddenly felt wide awake. I felt alert. I had realized something that felt somehow vitally important. In the dream, I had changed rooms. I ended up in this room, in Mara's house, but I didn't start here. That meant the fire hadn't happened here. Where then? And why was I brought to this room? Here, honey, I got you some ice water and some medicine too, Mara said as she re-entered the room. When I touched your forehead, it felt like you were burning up. I hope you're not getting sick. 
Thanks, Mara. I'm feeling a lot better, I said gratefully, taking the medicine anyway after lots of prompting from my aunt. I know this is really random, I started after a moment, but do you know if this house used to be a hospital? A hospital? No, I don't think so. Are you sure? Because, Andy, this nightmare has gotten you all worked up. I really think you should get some rest. When I opened my mouth to argue, Mara cut me off. Look, if it makes you feel better, we can do some more research on the history of this house tomorrow, okay? But right now, you need to get some sleep. It's almost three in the morning. Oh, right, yeah, I said, feeling guilty as Mara stifled a yawn. Totally. Sorry again for the scream fest. It was strange, but after Mara made sure I was comfortably in bed again, I found myself staring at the window, willing the raven to show up. Shouldn't it be here? Something weird had just happened and it wasn't here? I wasn't a big horror movie fan or anything, but I had seen enough to know that the freaky, oversized corvid was supposed to be here. I mean, weren't ravens a universally acknowledged bad omen or something? My eyelids eventually grew heavy, and while I didn't see the flutter of raven's wings, I thought I might have caught a glimpse of a long, white skirt moving back and forth at my bedside. Thank you to our sponsor, Podcorn, for helping us make this episode possible. For almost a year now, I've loved using the easy-to-navigate format of Podcorn's website to find brands that are willing to partner with our show. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. With Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is there to support you at every step to ensure you're protected and compensated for the work you do for brands. The Marketplace mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when Podcorn monetizes. Click the link in our show notes to sign up with Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities. It's the Dad in a Rock podcast. This is Sean. And this is Chris. Join us every week as we give you the dad's point of view on pop culture. And stumbling our way through fatherhood. <laughs> dad jokes. Star Wars. Streaming, tech news, movie news. Listen to lifelong pals tell stories from past and present. Cruise with us into the cheesy every week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other podcast platforms. And as always, find past episodes and links to our social media pages on dadnarock.com. I slept like the dead for the rest of the night and didn't wake up until my phone alarm went off next to me. 
I showered, got dressed, then reassured my aunt that I was feeling just fine at breakfast. I watched her drop an apple and a bag of chips into a brown paper bag before I suddenly remembered. Oh, hey, is that for me? I'm actually going out to eat today, but that's so nice of you. Before she could ask who I was going to eat with, I gave her a quick side hug and headed for the door with a hasty, I want to try and get to the shop early today, but I'll see you after work. It was a balmy morning, and the cicadas buzzed like an invisible electric fence from the trees. As I made my way up the slight incline to the square, I gradually could hear two female voices arguing. As I got closer, I caught a couple phrases here and there. It belongs with us, and you know it. That's ridiculous. It belongs here with me. It fits perfectly. Oh, right along with your pristine porcelain teapots, you mean? When I reached the corner of the square surrounding the courthouse, I found the source of the argument to my left. Down the sidewalk, I saw two women nearly yelling, with what looked like a tall sink on legs in between them. One of the women, about middle-aged with poofy salt-and-pepper hair, was shaking her finger in the other woman's face. The other woman had her back to me, so I couldn't see her face, but she had white hair and a more stooped posture. I was so fixated on the women and their bickering that I didn't see the truck speeding toward the crosswalk. I took one step off the sidewalk when the truck's horn made my heart stop. I would probably have been clipped by the truck's front hood if a strong yank on my purse hadn't pulled me back onto the sidewalk. The truck driver managed to flash me a rude hand gesture before barreling away down the street. Are you all right, honey? The passerby who had saved me, a woman with tight, dark ringlets, thin lips, and sharp cheekbones asked in a deep, warm voice. Yeah, I'm all right, thanks to you, I said shakily. Well, it was no problem, the woman replied kindly. We ladies gotta look out for each other now, don't we? I've seen that hunk of rusted metal before. Probably some ninny with no woman to teach him his manners. I smiled at her spunky attitude and candidness when a loud, metallic scraping sound made us both turn. The two women had finally parted. The older woman with white hair was slowly making her way through a faded red door with the sign County Museum hanging above it. The woman with the poofy gray hair was trying to haul the tall sink up onto the front steps of what I assumed to be her store. Those two going at it again, the woman beside me grumbled, placing her hands on her hips. They argue a lot, I guessed, asking, what is that thing, before she could answer my first question. She glanced down at me with an arched eyebrow, as if weighing whether or not to tell me. There was an estate sale a couple weekends ago, she explained. Some wealthy mortician, Summers something or other, died and his belongings were liquidated. Joanna and Gail, she nodded toward the spot where the woman had been, were talking about it for a while. My guess is that must be a wash basin from his family's mortuary. Don't know why they're both so upset about it. Ugly old thing. I grimaced, 
I couldn't help it. They were fighting over a wash basin that was used in, in a mortuary? The woman at my side grinned. Yep. Joanna owns the county museum and Gail the antique shop there. They both must feel that the basin belongs in their store. I personally would never want a sink used to clean corpses anywhere near my house or workplace. Just the thought made me cringe. Guess we better go help her carry that thing, the woman said, starting toward Gail, who was still struggling to lift the basin. My name's Serena, by the way. I own the floral shop next to Gail's. Nice to meet you. I'm Andy. Serena smiled warmly at me. She had just opened her mouth to greet Gail when I realized that Kai and Emmett were approaching from the other direction. Hi, ma'am. Could we help you with that? Kai asked. That would be so helpful. Thank you for offering. Be careful with that now, she warned as both Kai and Emmett reached down to lift the heavy basin. Hi, Gail, Serena greeted the other shopkeeper. Could we help at all? Andy, why don't you go help the boys by grabbing the door? Serena had placed her hand gently on my elbow, but she jerked it away, recoiling as if my skin had burned her. For a split second, her eyes opened wide in what looked like shock and fear. Just as quickly, though, she recovered and twitched her lips upward in a forced smile. Completely weirded out, I was only pulled out of my confusion by Kai commenting, That's all right, ma'am. I can probably pick this thing up myself. Emmett, could you grab the doorman? Emmett said, Sure. Just as I blurted, Sorry, I, I can grab it for you, and rushed forward to twist the knob. My hand touched the knob first, and Emmett's hand closed around on top of mine. I turned to look at him, and his face was only inches away. His lips were threatening a playful grin. I can open it, I said awkwardly as I pushed the door open. All right then, Emmett's face finally cracked into a broad smile. He helped Kai lift and carry the basin through the doorway, with me almost forgetting to move, then stumbling out of the way into the store at the last second. Where would you like us to put this, ma'am? Kai asked, stepping gingerly around the clutter of antiques. Tables all around the room were piled high with old cameras, typewriters, telephones, bins of scrabble letters, dye, and bottle caps were stuffed between bookshelves, couches, mannequins, and sewing machines. Just right over there in the corner would be wonderful, thank you, boys, Gail said from behind me. Serena had also entered behind her, and I noticed she was watching me with an almost wary expression. Why had she freaked out when she touched me, I wondered. After setting the sink down in the corner, Kai straightened and raked his fingers through his brown curls. Ma'am, he started cautiously, almost shyly. Gail is fine, son, the store owner said with a kind smile. Gail, do you mind me asking where this sink came from? Did it, did it happen to come from the Rupert Summers estate sale? Gail's friendly expression vanished instantly.
her voice was nearly a bark. And what if it did? I paid for it fair and square. I have just as much right to it as anybody. The boy didn't mean anything by it, Gail. Serena spoke calmly, placing a hand on Gail's back. A low, grating voice suddenly whispered, almost hissed, Mine, from somewhere on my left, just then, loudly enough that it caused me to take a step back, right into a stack of old magazines on the floor. Sorry, I mumbled, reaching down to straighten the stack. We'd better get going, Gail. We don't want to bother you. Serena piped up again, no doubt trying to keep the attention away from me. Oh, you've been no bother at all. Thank you again for all your help. Gail replied sweetly, her tone a complete 180 from the accusing one I'd heard just seconds before. We all filed out of the antique shop. Then, once we were a few paces away from the front door, Kai voiced, Man, I really hope I didn't offend Gail. I didn't mean to be rude. Did anyone else notice how she got a little... Cuckoo? Emmett volunteered. You mind the way you talk about your elders, Serena chided, then softened her tone once Emmett mumbled an apology. It's not our place to judge, although she did act a little out of character. I thought about the voice I had heard, the one that had whispered, mine, so fiercely. Who had it belonged to? I wanted to ask if anyone else had heard it, but I wasn't sure I wanted to hear the answer either way. Kai unfurrowed his brow, then turned to me. Can we walk you to work, Andy? We're on our way to Flavoroso, so it's on our way. That'd be great, I said, then turned back to Serena. It was really nice meeting you. Thanks again for pulling me out of the way of that truck. You're sure welcome, sweetie. Serena smiled, but it didn't touch her eyes. It didn't escape me that she kept her hand securely at her side. Come stop by my store sometime and say hi, won't you? All of you, you're welcome anytime. We all told Serena thank you and that we would, then turned and started walking toward Flavoroso and the Speckled Sparrow. Man, did you guys see how creepy that old wash basin is? It's definitely haunted. Kai said as soon as we had crossed to the side of the street where the courthouse stood. Haunted? I asked a little too shrilly, thinking of the voice again. What do you mean? Ah, oh, Andy, I forget you're not from here. That old summer sky was definitely into some weird rituals and, like, black magic stuff. He was part of the freaky fraternity up at the lodge on the hill. He pointed up at the single row of dark windows and peaked roofs I could see just above the tree line, the building I had noticed just yesterday. A fraternity that dabbled in black magic? That was just what I needed right now. Kai was still rambling. I'm sure they used that sink to, like, wash the blood from their hands after they made a sacrifice to a demon. Where do you get these ideas, dude? Emmett asked quizzically. He jerked his head toward me. Andy's way into this ghost stuff, too. She was asking me yesterday about the Lester Lawless Museum. Don't you? Andy, you're into the paranormal, too? We should totally hang out sometime. 
I'm part of this awesome forum where we just share the crazy stuff that goes on in Laurelton. That would be fun, Kai. We should definitely do that sometime, I interrupted. I'll catch you guys later, though. I better hurry before I'm late to work. I turned to Emmett. I'll see you at lunch today, right? I remembered not to pack a lunch. I must have said something wrong, because Emmett's face went completely blank, except for a weird, sudden flash of annoyance in his eyes. Kai's round-the-clock smile even seemed to slip a bit. He glanced between me and his friend with a hesitant look on his face. Kai, I raced, realizing my mistake. You're totally welcome to join us for lunch, too. Hey, no problem, he said, his infectious grin returning. I usually meet up with my sister for lunch, but maybe one of these days I'll join you guys. Even though he was smiling again, he glanced at Emmett, looking slightly confused one more time. I'm ahead inside, he motioned behind him at Flavoroso. I'll catch up with you guys later. Once Kai had vanished inside the restaurant, Emmett finally spoke. His voice was harsher than I expected. Do you have to tell the whole world we're eating lunch together? The whole world? I told Kai. I could feel heat spreading across my ears and the back of my neck. Emmett didn't want Kai to know we were hanging out together? Why? Kai seemed to think I was sort of cool. He had asked me to hang out himself. Was Emmett embarrassed to be seen with me? The red seeped into my cheeks now. I could feel it pooling and burning there. Look, whatever, I gotta head back to work, Emmett said, rubbing his forehead as if I were giving him a headache. I'll see you later. Yeah, later, I snapped, turning and walking away from him as fast as my feet could carry me. As I opened the front door of the speckled sparrow to dive inside, I spared one quick glance toward the corner window of the Lester Lawless Museum, almost unconsciously, and I could have sworn that I caught a dark, humanoid shape standing motionless behind the glass. Right then and there, maybe because I was still seething from my conversation with Emmett, I decided that everything going on in Laurelton, the music in the attic, the dreams, the bird, the man in the window, even the whisper I had heard in the antique shop, was going to stop. I was going to figure out what was happening and make it stop, no matter what. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.